fuel for freedom. Add a spark to your day or night. You get to choose which best serves you. Introducing Tony Rusing. Hello, my name is Tony Rusing, and it's a privilege to be with you today. We're going to talk about leadership. And some of you may say, well, I'm not a leader. I believe you are. Leaders are people who serve others. And a true leader knows what that really means. And that is that all of his actions, all of her actions, have to be focused on how I can help someone else get what they need and help someone else in the path that they're on. So let's talk about what goes into being a leader. Leadership is not born. We hear people say things like, well, he's a born leader. No, he's not. It's an oxymoron. Leadership requires developing your skills and abilities. And there's a component in there that's really important, and that's creativity. That's another word that people say, well, I'm not very creative. And I'm here to debunk both of those ideas. Yes, you are a leader, and yes, you are creative. How you bring about behavioral change requires creativity. And creativity has some components in it. One of them is vision. Every great leader has had a vision. And the greatest leaders take that vision and they spread it out among others and ask for their input, ask for their opinions. And then they make a wise choice, a good decision based upon the fact that they had the vision, but they didn't believe it was just the one that they had and they had it all right. They run it by others who they trust, others who will put in to that vision. They have imagination. Imagination is being able to, to think this through and think about the things that are the possibilities, think about the things that could go wrong, think about the things that couldn't go right, think of how it's going to accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. They try to keep this mistakes to a minimum, but mistakes will be made. Creativity is knowing how to manage a situation in a way that reaches into both sides of your brain, the left and right side, and they work simultaneously for you to be creative. And we're going to give you some examples of that from some real experts. Leaders also have to be innovative, and they see innovation as the resource, as the, as the thing that we need to be doing, innovating and innovating and innovating taking that old cereal box and turning it into a new cereal box and yet keeping the integrity of the old one there because you don't throw out everything. What you constantly try to do is just make something a little bit better. So we have to be motivated to change and behavioral change requires motivation. And we know that motivation is either pleasurable are painful. Those are the two motivating factors in our life. So we need a motive to act. And, and there are people who say, well, I'm going to motivate so-and-so. I'm going to... No, you can't do that. But what you can do is create a climate where motivation can happen. And that's what great leaders are able to do. So let's go back to the pain and pleasure part of what that means when it comes to motivation. We are motivated by pain. We are motivated by pleasure. 
And when we are motivated by pain, it would mean, for an example, that we're overweight and we want to lose weight. And we see the pleasure of being trimmer greater than the pain of being overweight. So then what we do is we decide to go on a diet or we decide to change our eating habits or we decide to exercise. And now the pleasure of being trim and slim and healthier is better than the pain of being unhealthy. But then we look at a cookie and we say, that cookie looks pretty good. I deserve a reward. So we eat the cookie and one leads to two and two lead to four. And the next thing you know, you're putting on weight again. So it is a constant battle sometimes between pain and pleasure. But those are the two motivating factors in all of us. And then we have to have this motive to act. And so I'm going to suggest to you that there are people who have studied this. And this has been studied since the beginning of time. Aristotle said, man needs to have and understand his self-realization. That's one example of it. I'm going to go back not quite so far to a gentleman named Frederick Hertzberg. And this was a, an American psychologist, and he was one of the most influential names in the business community. And what he did was came up with what he called the hygiene theory. And the hygiene theory was that you motivate people through helping them be appreciated for their skills and abilities, for their achievements. And he said, that's the single most important motivator. People want to achieve. And the small achievements act as motivators for someone when we're trying to go on and try to do just a little bit more. One of the ways to look at that would be something called a just right challenge. A just right challenge is that piece of, of information that, that we, we take and we say, I, I can't quite do this. You put yourself just a little bit beyond what you think you can accomplish. And then you work toward that just right challenge. And when that happens, you stretch it to the next just right challenge. I'll give you an example of that. A friend of mine had some health issues. He had a difficult time throwing a ball with his right hand, and he was a right-hander. So we talked about it for a time, and I said, you need a just right challenge. He said, what in the world is a just right challenge? I said, take this tennis ball, go out in front of the garage, and throw it with your right hand. Well, he did, and he initially thought, I can't do this. But the more he tried, and the more he threw the ball, the more he recreated the energy in that arm to be able to throw that ball have it bounce and catch it with his right hand. That's a just right challenge. So you take that little something that you want to do better and you give yourself a just right challenge. So this is what Frederick Hertzberg was trying to describe, that achievement is the thing that puts us forward and, and, and that achievement makes us want to do something more. And it's the recognition of that achievement that leaders use to help people see that they have more potential than they believe they have. And let's go back now to that definition of creativity. I'm, I'm not creative. We hear people say that. I wish I could be more creative, but I don't have it in me. And, and we hear people say things like that. But the truth is, everyone has creative potential. And there's four simple little steps to developing that potential. 
One of them is preparation. And the more you prepare and the more you get ready for the ideas to flow into you, the greater the chance they will. The other one is incubation. When you get a good idea, you have to percolate. You have to let it incubate for a time. And you have to sit on it. You have to think about it. And you have to ask some questions of others, get input from others, and let that idea incubate. And then all of a sudden, the illumination comes. All of a sudden, you see this more clearly. And because you see it clearly, you begin to look at how I can implement this. So let's just give you these in a one, two, three, four. One, preparation. Two, incubation. Three, illumination. And four is implementation. And when we, when we get these four right, we really put this process in place. The Path of Least Resistance is a book that I read a number of years ago by a gentleman named Robert Fritz. And I want to quote exactly what he said about creativity so that we're clear on the fact that all of us have creative potential. This is what he said. The action of the child inventing a new game with his playmates, Einstein formulating a theory of relativity, the housewife devising a new sauce for the evening meal, and a young author writing his first novel. These are all, in terms of our definition, creative. And there is not an attempt to set them in some order of more or less creative. I think that's a terrific quote because it tells us what we have with regard to the potential of our creativity. One more expert, Carl Rogers. Carl Rogers said the greatest discovery of our generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their state of mind. You see how that just right challenge can alter your state of mind? That can be a rewarding creative experience for you, for you. Just that one little step. Pablo Cassell, he was a cellist. He said, I've always regarded manual labor as creative and, and looked with respect and yes, wonder at people who work with their hands. And it seems to me that their creativity is no less or no more than that of a violinist or a painter. So these are people that, that have gone down that path and they've, they've created and they've used their creativity as far as they could take it. And the beauty of that is, is that's what it's going to take for us to manage and deal with change. And that's helpful to us. That's what we want to be able to do. So these just right challenges are really helping you with your cognitive learning and your capacity and your ability to learn. You need to be a lifelong learner. How a person processes information is really what learning is. And so problem solving is a key. Thinking skills are a key. Perception is a key. All of that comes into play. And then the ability to use your five senses means then that you're practicing how to be more creative. And you start all of this by being better at communicating with others and by asking better questions. And when you ask better questions, you get better answers. But the listening piece of this is extremely important. When you're able to hear something instead of just, when you're able to listen to something instead of just hearing something, you're really doing what you're supposed to be doing. Many people 
when they're listening to someone or trying to put their own thoughts together and trying to put what they want to say next together, as opposed to really trying to absorb what someone is saying to you. And it's a passive act to do that. It's an active act to really pay attention to their words and how those words are are formed and positioned so that you can repeat back to them what they say so you can check it and know for sure that what they said is what they meant to say. The benefit of an extraordinary listening ability is it keeps focus on the person who owns the words that they use. And what you're doing is you're giving them all of the, the, the freedom that they need to be able to do that. And then the, the clarifying words. So both you and they engage come about when you start asking, well, stretch that for me just a little bit. T- tell me more about that. Let me see if I got this right. Now, if, if I don't, you know, tell me. And so in the conversation back and forth, your total focus is on them because your ideals have come along and that's fine, but it's astounding what you can learn when you emphasize the value of what you're hearing. And it's the respect that you give the other person, their ability to to be involved in a conversation, you involved in a conversation, that's what keeps communication open. One little tip here with regard to communication, and we have a whole series on communication, and I'd love to do that. I'd love for you to be able to see that. Let me just give you the four things that we engage in every day, and these four things simply are what we do. We write, and that's about 9% of your day is spent writing, and reading is 16%. Talking, 30%, big number. But do the math there. You take those three numbers and they come to 55%. So what's left? 45%, almost 50%. 45% of your day is spent listening. That's why it's so important to really understand how important it is for you to develop that skill. So if you become a great listener and someone who really knows how to ask, ask, and answer questions. You'll be able, you'll be able to develop another skill that you need in a leadership role that you need when you want to improve your ability to communicate with others and then unleash your creativity. And that is your persuasive skills. And if we look at this in depth, we look at this just a little bit here and, and, and try to get a real definition of what persuasiveness is. It starts like this. If I ask you to define the difference between persuasive or persuasion and manipulation, if you think about it, what might you say? And I would say you probably would tell me that persuasion is trying to get somebody to do something. And then your thought process might take you to, well, manipulation is trying to get somebody to do something too. And that's probably accurate. The difference is this. When you manipulate, it has a single focus. And that single focus means you really don't care if it's a benefit or not to the other person. You're only concerned about how it might benefit you. And yet, that is something that always makes the other person who's being manipulated feel less than. They feel like they have been taken advantage of. Because it's manipulation. 
single focus. Persuasion always has a double focus. And a double focus means that there's a benefit to the person you're trying to persuade, and there's a benefit to you as well. And when you focus on persuading someone, you're not trying to get them to do something they don't want to do. You're trying to get them to do something that will benefit them. And the benefit also inures to you. That's the big difference between persuasion and manipulation. And there are three elements to being a persuader. So let's look at each one of these. One of them is personal character. You become someone known as having character and integrity. And integrity is being honest with yourself. So personal character is an extremely important part of being a persuasive person. Then the mood of what you're trying to accomplish through the persuasion. You want to create a positive mood. You want to create a comfortable mood, a safe mood, where people do not feel manipulated. They feel like you have a genuine interest and concern in them. And persuasion means that you do because it does have a benefit to them, whether or not, as I said, they can see it or not. And then there's a proof there. And the proof is your past experience with them. If there's no past experience, you have to build trust. And it takes a time to build trust. And it's worth the effort. The goal of persuasion should always be to create a favorable interest in a cause. And when a following of one or more people to that cause. These are two of the goals. A third one might be to dissipate or lessen a resistance to a particular uh, challenge that everyone's facing. And you want to, you want to get an immediate, if it's possible, an immediate yes toward moving toward what you want to persuade someone to engage in or, or change or do differently. And finally, it receives acceptance for the belief of the persuader, and that becomes an important element. So when asking people to change, three things have to happen. They can accept your idea without question, or they can reject your idea outright, or they can ask for proof of what you're saying. And you know what? All three of those have value. If you have a relationship established with them, and there's a trust between the two of you, and you sometimes will ask someone to change something, Persuade them. You've already done that over and over because they see the benefit to them when they've been persuaded. They accept without question what you're asking them to do. But that means that your integrity is intact because you do serve them and you want to serve them better all the time. The other one, they reject your idea outright. Well, you know, I can't say yes to that or I don't know. Uh, help me with this. Uh, no, it's not something I want to do. And that's fine. That, that may be the answer. Because if they are strong or, 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 or determined in their opinion of what it is you're trying to persuade them to do, it may be best to let that just go in a different direction. They may ask you for more proof. Well, tell me why this is going to be a benefit to me or help me understand what you're trying to say. And now you have, have created a dialogue with them. And now you're actively listening to each other and you're trying to see if there's a fit. And that's what you're looking for. So I want you to think about this as we kind of bring this to a little close here. Your mind 
is an imagination factory. And I said early on that imagination was one of the things that we, we see come into play in creativity. So if your mind is an imagination factory, you're using your emotion and your logic simultaneously. And the untapped power of your imagination is almost unlimited. And it has four different parts to it, four different parts to your imagination factory. Creativity, you want to be able to anticipate success. Visually, you want to be able to see it. And you want to be able to implement it. Those are the things that come together in this role when you want behavioral change to take place. I've really enjoyed being with you today. I hope you'll come back and visit us again. My name again is Tony Rooster. Thank you. This podcast is produced by TalkEdits.com. You talk, we'll edit. If you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. If you want to know more about Tony, visit aimyoursights.com. That's aimyoursights.com. Thanks for listening.